0: Hello, world. Hello, world. Hello, world. It's your boy Trey Retro underscore GT back for another episode of the g Taylor Show with video this time. I've been slacking, trying to not do video, said I was going to get away from video. But we are here and back. I said I got to jump back into it. Somehow I've seen that my uh, YouTube channel, Refresh Virginia, has jumped up to 89 subscribers. So shout out to everybody that subscribed to the YouTube channel and um all my former subscribers. I do apologize that I ain't been putting content up there. So uh, I need to get back to that. Um, anyways, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out my schedule and what my, my life is going to look like throughout the, the weeks and stuff like that, as I'm teaching and transitioning my private practice. Um, and then also my personal life, my family life, things like that. So I'm just kind of still kind of making sure that everything is, you know, moving well, but also too, like, you know, I know my October is going to be super busy, so I don't want to get into a habit or a routine and not be able to put out content in a good schedule. But either way, man, back for another episode today. But just released one episode last earlier this week. Actually, matter of fact, on my podcast, the G Taylor Show, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all your digital streaming platforms. We talked about um, I talked about my journey to public speaking and writing, and how much I hated it. Excuse me, throughout school, and you know how to learn to build up the skills to do so, and then also like the teachers and professors that helped me along the way. And so I talked about that. So you make sure you want to go ahead and um, listen to that. Like, share, subscribe to the podcast as well. Subscribe to the YouTube page. um, And then you can comment on it. Let me know what you think about that. I should have probably did a video. I was thinking about doing a video for that. And just was like, man, you know what? I'm going to just kind of. Let it go. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, I know we're a little bit late, but rest of peace to the homie Kobe Bryant. Um, his birthday was not too long ago, what was last week, I believe. So shout out to Kobe, Mama Mentality. Um, uh, we definitely miss you down here, brother. Um, as well. So, man, there's a lot of stuff going on, man. But you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about today, and it's it probably comes up a lot when I'm doing speaking engagements, um, or working with people in the community and talking about mental health, uh, is, is how does one engage their, their, their man, their husband, their brother, their son, uh, their, the boyfriend, their uncle, their dad, how do they engage them, those black men into therapy? Right. And I've talked about this in brief manner because I've, kind of been chronicling my journey in private practice and other things that I've dealt with personally. And so, you know, one of the things that I always give out is a resource to my book, Refresh the Journey to Find Peace, which is a self-help memoir and talks about the different challenges I face as a black man. Um personally, that what I've dealt with from a grief and loss perspective, dealing with depression, suicidal thoughts, um, my faith, you know, things like that. And 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 I probably need to do an episode about faith again. But dealing with that and how I had to overcome these things um going forward in my life. And so uh one of the things that you know I give that out because a lot of times people can relate to that first. Some a lot of people add look for these 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 solutions and these this quick one big answer to solve that question or that problem. And at first, you know, initially when I got into this space of advocacy and education and awareness around mental health, especially for the Black community, but especially for Black men, I wanted to be able to give that firm solution and three points or a couple points that one overarching thing to help you know loved ones, mainly it usually be women, but it could be anybody else to help their their men, right? Their Black men get engaged with therapy or get some form of help and treatment. And so that's the reason I'm kind of the way I worded this episode is for a reason, um, because it might go past just therapy. We just talking about getting on a healing path, getting on a journey to, you know, heal and get some help. Right. And we help can be subjective in a sense. Right. And so as it was, was a point where I wanted to give those points out where I wanted to give that one overarching theme. Right. But I realized even with my work that I do and then just kind of being in the space of the field that I am and just kind of being around guys, you know, 24 seven, being a black man, you know, I started to talk to I started to not give that answer and that solution, that approach. Right. This generalistic answer, this three point question. Let's let's tell me what's the context first. Because what would happen was that I would give an answer, then the person would kind of respond back, oh, well, I did this, or I tried that, or I did this. And it comes off more so as I don't know um, what else to do. I just need to do something to make me feel like I helped, right? And that's a lot of people's MO sometimes. It's like it's not so much about getting you to help. It's the fact that I want to feel like I gave you something. I, I tried. I helped. And that, to me, is enough, right? And we're going to talk about that coming out here soon uh, with an episode I did with my homie Juice up in D.C. on his um, Get Home Safe platform talking about, you know, suicide prevention and what help looks like. Is it help that you're genuinely caring about that person and you continue to help and support that person throughout that process and through that that healing journey? Or are you just seeking some helpful solutions, for the time being, so you don't have to feel like you're liable or guilty due to what that person is going through at that certain moment of time, right? And so we have to play with those dynamics too, because sometimes people just want to have a solution or provide a solution to a problem to say that they helped, versus going through the process of what that looks like for that person, because it's not just one all fixed one size fits all approach. It's not just one thing's going to help that person, so. That's one, right? But then I I provide a context because, you know, I I need context because I need context before I'm just going to throw out an opinion. That's just kind of something that as professionals, I think we need to practice better anyway, is because, you know, a lot of people want one solution or one size fits all approaches to these problems, which are super complex or have different layers that 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 one answer is not going to solve it all. And then as clinicians or professionals, we are looked looked at as the experts and whatever we say people are going to take that to, to heart and so if it doesn't work that can come back on us as well so I, I try to get context and i try to give best practices that make sense and is feasible for that person um before i and just making a blanket generalization and even if i do a lot of times those answers come back void like you know well i did this i tried this you know what i'm saying it's like okay well one of the things that comes up right so, when I go through all of that and ask those questions, you know uh, sometimes and people don't like listening like hearing this, which kind of goes back to the initial point, you might have to leave that person al- leave that that guy alone, stop pressuring, stop pushing on that guy to go get help or to go seek out therapy or whatever it might be if they're not ready to change, maybe they're not ready to go right and and you have to respect that. it's one of the biggest things we talk about in our discipline is understanding the stages of change and if the client or person is ready to change. If they're not ready to change, there's nothing much you can do. But I feel like when we see people crashing and burning or we feel like we see people spiraling, we get alarmed and we want to help and change, but it's not really looking at the full aspect of what that person, how much it takes for that person to change, how much vulnerability it takes for that man to even step into that space, right? To, to, Go get the take the effort to do so, and also break out the comforts or the norms of things of how he's been doing things all of his life, and 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 that kind of brings me to another point. When it's not just as simple as go to therapy, but um, black man, it's not that that simple. Why is it not that simple? Well, because one, go to therapy, black man. Okay, you asking a, a guy who has not, you know, maybe is learn different coping mechanisms learn how to deal with life ills learn how to deal with their emotions in this way that's been comfortable to them for x number of years we already talked about they might not be ready for change they might not see it as a problem so they have to acknowledge the problem but then also if 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 i want to go to see somebody that looks like me hey it's a shortage it's about four percent of therapists that are black less than that are black men right and so the time frame for us to take you know to even make a fully licensed therapist is about seven to 10 years at this point. Right. And so even though there are a lot more black male therapists out there now, than one that that, once it once once was when I was coming in the field in the space, it's still a shortage and it's still a shortage of mental health professionals in general. Right. And so when we start talking about that, um, we have to make sure that, you know, it's not as simple. Let's go to black, go therapy, black man. Now, yes, do you do have resources? Absolutely. Like, you have the EAP program. If you're working, you got a job. Cool. You have community service boards or nonprofit groups that give out free therapy sessions. Yes. Cool. You have independent outpatient providers. Cool. You have mental health and tech that's working out. Cool. So we do have a lot more options out there. Self-help books, podcasts, um, coaching, you know, all these other avenues that can, you know, Expand upon the healing journey, expand upon just therapy. But again, vulnerability, um, comfort zones, uh, acknowledgement, right. And, and, and acknowledging that there is a problem, acknowledging that there is something that needs to be changed, right. Shame, guilt, uh, feeling like this stuff is a weakness, right. I tell the story all the time when my clients come into session and I tell them all the time, I say, look, you know. And even when I do speaking engagement, I talk to men about going to therapy and things like that. (laughs) What happens is, what I'll tell my my situation about how me, the mental health professional, the therapist, the person that education awareness, had super high anxiety going into a therapist's office to get his own therapy. So me, the therapist and mental health professional had so much anxiety going to see my own therapist. It's normal. It's going to be like that, but it should not be a hindrance, right? To stop you from fulfilling that journey. But again, I knew I, I started therapy in 2019. I ended up finishing probably around this year. Um, graduated out of therapy, more maintenance. If I need it is as needed, you know what I'm saying? I'm there, but I should have been in therapy probably in 2010. I'm probably 10 years behind when I should have been in therapy. Right? So those are I, I I sit in here and think about, man, what I could have accomplished or what I would have, how much time and energy I would have saved heartache, pain, struggle if I had just started therapy back in 2010, 2011, right? 2012. And so, you know, with that being said, right, you, you, it, there is some stuff that comes along with dragging your feet, where, you know, you dragging your feet, knowing you probably needed therapy a long time ago. And then, it man- and then it finally clicks that you need to go talk to somebody. But that might be too late dealing with the relationships that you might have. Um, for me, it was like my, 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 I wouldn't say my marriage was suffering, but I was becoming a different person as a husband. I was becoming a different person as a dad. Um, and I was lashing out. And then I would have these moments. And, you know, so it starts to affect other people around me, my loved ones and things like that. And I would say, dang, if I had started a long time ago, you know, Maybe things have been changed. But again, it, I had to get to that point to say, OK, something is up, something is wrong. I need to go address it. Right. And unfortunately, I had to go through a series of tough moments in my life to really realize that. And that, to me, it was a lot of death. Right. Death and loss, a lot of grief and loss compiled on over other old issues, such as my, my parents, divorce, my own personal feelings, stress, things like that. Right. And so it sucks, but, and do I wish that, you know, maybe I should have, I wish I would have done it earlier. Sure. Right. But I didn't. And, but it still doesn't stop my journey from where I'm going, but maybe I could have curtailed a lot of it prior. So when people ask me, how do I motivate them to get into sessions? How do I motivate them to get into you know treatment or things like that? You can't force nobody to do anything they don't want to do, period. And it's not like we have a functional, thriving mental health system. And I know it's scary because the numbers and statistics right now for black men and black boys, uh, the suicide rates are high. And they've been this way for quite some time. But again, the mental health system doesn't see it as a crisis. I think the black community sees it as a crisis, but... The mental health system doesn't see it as a a crisis because I feel feel like if they did, they would be doing more to address it, right? And so, you know, you can't, it's unfortunate, but you can't force anybody to get help that they don't deserve unless there's, we're talking about something else which comes into voluntary commitments and things like that. But I I just, I, I, I tell people like, you have to be patient with that person. You have to be able to support that person. And it can't just be about your feelings in that moment. Because not because you want them to get better, they have to want to get better for themselves. Now, granted, the other piece, and I did a training on this, is how do we engage black men in therapy? And if the full training, you're going to have to, if you want that, you have to reach out to me and set that up for your agency, community group, um, church, whatever. We can talk about that. Or, you know, because the first one I did was with a um, a mental health agency talking about how do we engage black men in therapy and, and talking about different interventions. I personally believe that one of the best models to start helping guys is one of the things you can find a group, right? Support group. It could be any type of group. I don't, I don't care what type of group it is. There has to be some camaraderie, right? Somewhere to help start supporting and engaging. I think that's a perfect place to start sometimes, especially if, if you can't get that person or they don't want to go to therapy. The other thing, when you, that you tried everything you needed to do and you know what I'm saying? You, Did whatever you need to do to make get your get your guy into therapy or whatever. I always say put the resources, the books, the links, just sit them out there, and go on about your day. Go on about your day. This now this is not this is not if somebody is you know a danger to themselves, danger to others. We're not talking about that. That is a separate occurrence. We're talking about somebody that you know probably needs some some help. Want to need to talk to somebody. They're dealing with depression, anxiety, or they're just spiraling. There's just the quality of life is just not the same. Somebody that is suicidal, homicidal, not taking care of themselves, that needs to go to a crisis level, which is different. And we can talk about that. Um, but, yes, set those resources out there. Let it be there. Stop trying to force it. Right. Links, books, self-help, podcasts, whatever. Sit them out there. Right. And go about your day. Next, I think, is looking at are there any male support groups for black men or just in general, it could be mixed. It doesn't matter. Are there any support groups around that this person, your, your guy, your black man can go to? That could be church. That can be community. That can be um, community groups. I mean, that could be work groups that can be uh, clinical based groups that can be. Basketball groups, car groups, um, friend groups. Are there those type of groups around that is uplifting, positive, supportive, talking about certain situations that black men deal with or men deal with that is going on in your area? And nudge over there. Get that man around some other men. Because the one thing I need, I had to tell black men a lot of times about is that you are not the only one that's going through this, brother. There are countless of many people that go through what you go through, right? And 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 I've seen the power of collectivism in that sense of healing. And I watch. It's one of the reasons why I've created the Goodfellas Project, which was a safe space for black men to hit, to, to vent and heal, because I realized that as for us as men. When we get in our groups around our brothers, right, we we, we let our hair down. We let our guard down. We just, you know, are ourselves. And then somebody hopefully in a healthy relation, in a healthy group manner. That's why I say it's got to be something that's healthy, positive, working on stuff, right? And I, I don't neglect basketball groups or car groups or something that's hobby related because a lot of times a lot of positivity comes out of that, too, even when we're not even trying to be intentional about maybe going, following an outline or a project or a plan or whatever. Right. And so, but you want to make sure that that space is, you know, ultimately positive, positive and healthy. Right. So anything that's not healthy is not negative. It's not going to help, but something that's positive and healthy, right. Where that guy can get some support. That guy can understand that he's not alone. That guy can, you know, find out like, you know what I'm saying? This is, Oh, I'm, I, I deal with this. And such and such said he dealt with it this time, this way. And I I thought I was the only person that dealt with that. That is like, I, I, I I hint at that all the time because a lot of guys feel like they're the only, they're alone. And they're the only person that deal with certain issues, whether that's, you know, relationship, communication, positivity, self-esteem, shame, guilt, uh, depression, anxiety, you know what I'm saying? Anger, conflict, resolution, all of these different things. They sometimes feel like they're the only person that deal with that. And that's not the case. Right. And so getting into a group to show can kind of help with that. And and one of the most beautiful moments that I felt like Goodfellas um, showed me was the camaraderie between a bunch of these black men from all different ages. I had everybody from 21 all the way up to 60. And and it was so powerful. Like, of course, I'm sneakerhead. So everybody had sneakers coming in there. Everybody dressed down like so you brought in those other elements that make us who we are. But then we had conversation about real life stuff that was going on. And I remember one of the things that popped up in the conversation was talking about racism in America and how it being treated as a black man felt. And we went into some kind of um, colorist topics around like the color of your skin and how you were treated. And we had got conversations around, you know, older men to men in their 20s, late 20s, mid 20s, having that conversation, sharing and talking about the same issue. But from their own experience and 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 time frame, and you could see the generational differences, but it still had the same intent. And I was like, "Man, this is super powerful." And I I, I continued Goodfellas in person, but it ultimately went virtual due to COVID, and it just never had that same spark. So I'm not against a virtual group because I think the virtual group is the way of the world, and we're going to that space now. But for us as black men, I do think just the in-person aspect is just super helpful. I really do. And so, um and and that's where I kind of built my practice from. But also one of the things that I was talking about on my session, um about my training about this and this kind of in general, is like, I watched my pops, you know, and his friends all hang out, you know, late hours of the night, but they were chilling in the garage, just, you know, engaging in libations or whatever, but they were decompressing their way, right? Maybe healthy, maybe not healthy, but that's what they were doing. And I said, man, you know, that was one they thing they did. They was doing, I saw that. And then I started to emulate that with my friends. I would say in a healthy manner. Um, and it just continued. And I started to see it in different places throughout, you know, my career path. And as I got older. That's why Goodfellas was started. And that's kind of how I built my whole private practice. Excuse me. So I want, my private practice to be a space where it looks like goodfellas, but my clients feel like they are in a place that feels comfortable and home to them. And I necessarily never got a chance to fully do that in person the way I wanted to due to, you know, COVID and the virtual therapy thing. But I try to make it the same space virtually. And that goes back to my training when working with black men in therapy. And I think it's something that is, I think it's something that these concepts are consistent for just relationships in general, but especially for black men, regardless of the setting, whether it's therapy setting, whether it's the medical setting, um, healthcare setting, whether it's the job setting, whether it's the academic setting, whether it's, you know, community setting, if we're not establishing trust, safety, and rapport, if that if that, that black man can't trust you, um, if they don't feel safe with you. And you have not attempted to establish rapport with that person first then you're not going to get the change or you're not going to get to see the progress that you want to see and so it's hard to do it virtually that's what i'm saying to establish trust safety and rapport it takes a little bit more time versus in person where you can kind of fall into those group dynamics a little bit more and especially if that black man feels like he can see himself in the group it's a little bit easier when it's, he gets into the group, he can't see himself or he can't hear himself in that group It's definitely harder to engage and, and help that, that guy, you know, correlate and connect. But when you get to the point, if you've got a group that's strictly nothing but black men and, and they're working on positive things and it's healthy, you can see more changes. You can get that trust, that safety and rapport built up and then things will move, you know? And so, but again, using those, use of those concepts, it's consistent in everything that we do whether it's you know the therapy room uh, the medical room you know the the board room at work you know um, ERG groups work groups um, on on staff at your employer community groups whatever you name it if that's not being established or if that black man does not feel like he has trust safety and rapport in those spaces then yes he's probably going to isolate or he might you know be a little bit more reserved uh, because he don't feel safe. And for a lot of black people in the spaces that they occupy, because they don't see a lot of themselves a lot of time, we, we, we isolate or we are more reserved. I'm just gonna go to work and get this thing done, make sure I'm staying on my P's and Q's, make sure I get my work done and get on out of here. And then I can, once I get out of here, I clock out, I can be myself again. But for us to be our authentic selves is dangerous. It's very dangerous to do that. And whatever spaces we occupy, and again, especially if we're not the majority in some of these spaces which we are not academic spaces work spaces medical spaces things like that it look it feels dangerous to be our authentic self so for self-preservation to be safe and not be killed whether that's killed spiritually physically or mentally ah, i'm gonna go ahead and put on this facade i'm gonna be gary today not trey i'm gonna be trey when i get home but i'm gary today in this setting right and so these dynamics, you have to understand that for working with black men, even if you're re- <laughs> even with the resources that you refer to folks. Right. Does, that, does is that resource established and trust safety and poor for that black man? Right. Do they speak the same language? I'm a very intentional person on what I put out to the public. And, and even when I was marketing myself in my practice, like even the words, the terminology and I talk about it in my last podcast about. You know, reading levels, comprehension, Am I speaking a language. I gotta speak the language of the black men I wanna work with. Now, I work with black men, black women, and everybody else in between. Um, but I—that was my specialty focus, and so I had to—I had to curtail that that language. Right? It can't look like. And when I when I say that, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm talking about my clinical knowledge, education all this jargon that we use as social workers or therapists or mental health professionals. Don't nobody want to hear that. <laughs> Unless I'm talking to a colleague. I want to know if you can help me. <laughs> you know, and those are big words that I don't know just yet, but I'm trusting you to help me learn that. But if that's all the—that's all you can speak, then you probably can't help this black man. You feel what I'm saying? And so um, being understanding of that and, and being intentional with that you know, one of the other things is, um, cause I was looking at a clip one day, and um, they was talking about like, just black men' ability ability to process everything that's going on, where we have to, and I talked my my homeboys about this too, about you know, there's a situation where in life, and I'm not talking, the black women, black women got it twenty like twenty times worse, right? Um, for black men, we have to be you know provider and protector, but then also make it home at night. Right. So safety. And it's this, this this place of being in um, fight or flight 24 seven constantly. It's one of the reasons why I did some research a couple of years ago, that showed that black men at higher level of cortisol levels um, in their body than any other race, or ethnicity, uh, which is a stress hormone. And, and I, for me, to me, I've always preached that stress for us in the black community leads not to just mental health conditions and maybe some spiritual conditions as well, but also one of the biggest causes of our physical health and mental method- medical conditions you know because of that, that 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 hormone that stress hormone right and so when we start talking about that and so this is the other reason too when so i'm not even when in my sessions when i as a black male therapist that speaks the language or at least tries to right and, and attempts to and, and make sure i'm relatable as much as possible i've had times where i might not be as relatable to that black man because all black men, all black people are not monolithic, right? We are come in different shi- uh, say, size, sizes, shapes, and forms. Different philosophies, different mindsets. We grew up differently in different areas, right? But um, and so you have to t- accept that as well. Just because my my way of doing things fits a certain demographic doesn't mean it's going to fit for the whole demographic. So I'm not speaking to all and everybody, right? But I'm just speaking on my experience and the, the men that I have worked with in my maybe six year span at this point, six, seven year span around it. Um even when I'm having those conversations, right, or when I'm starting those conversations with with men, right? I thought I would be one of those therapists that would be like the tough guy in session and 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 hard on you in session. I'm not talking about um, just a stickler or just like super like stoic and reserved and, and just really by the book. I'm not talking about that, but just for me and how I grew up and, 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 and being playing organized sports and dealing with coaches, you know, that, that, that bravado that comes out, where are we talking about where we're maybe, you know, holding it to a higher standard or super hard and tough on you. I thought I would be that. But I found myself more in a space of compassion and, and, and a lot more, uh, I would say, softness with my clients. And so some people, I'm not going to say some people, I'm going to say that. Back. I believe for me that works best for me and my men it might not work best for all of my clients that work with me. And i would be the first one to tell you I'm not perfect therapist for everybody. I'm not the best fit for everybody. I am going to push and hold you accountable, but I'm gonna also allow for you to make your own mistakes and make your own choices. So I could may very well tell you that that's probably not the best choice, right? But I'm not gonna ultimately come out and say that in session, we're not really supposed to give advice as therapists, but it comes up sometimes in therapy. Let's be honest, to stop, stop acting like that doesn't happen in therapy. Um, we're supposed to give a client choice. And so I will lay out the pros and cons with you. We'll go through what you feel like the best option is, the least option is, and move forward. And so sometimes how I explain it to clients is that, you know, hey, you're in the driver's seat, I'm in the passenger seat, I'm just helping you navigate this thing called life. I'm just happy to be a part of this journey and thank you for allowing me to be here, you know, with you on this journey because you didn't have to be here with me. You didn't have to be vulnerable enough for me. You didn't have to bring me along with the ride. And so one of the flips out of that, my clients was like, you know. Well, I need you sometimes to drive and direct sometimes. And I said, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. So it would be a, a nice give and take relationship where sometimes you will be the driver. You're going to be the main driver, but I might need to hop in the driver's seat with you to kind of take some of that load off, give you a break, give you some time to reflect. And I'm really intentional about that because sometimes a lot, for a lot of these black men, they don't get time. This is the only time in session to have conversation, to vent, to get stuff off. And so that sometimes goes against with traditional interventions. They might not meet the criteria for depression and anxiety, but, this is 60 minutes that I think will help them or twice a week, once a week, whatever, that will allow them to work through their stress, which looks different for us as black men. Right. And, and, and so you have to be intentional with that space and that time. Right. Because not everything is a diagnosis. But it's still mental health related. So we just can't automatically just react when we think it's just a diagnosis because we should be reacting just as much from mental health side versus a mental illness side so we can meet right in the middle. And so even with that, right, I don't do y'all yelling. I don't do a lot of, um, I, I do a lot of choice. Like you have the choice. What do you want to do? What do you think is the best option possible? How do you feel about that? Any changes I make, any things that we it's shared decision-making in here in, the, in, the, in these rooms. And I think that should be the, the standard for everything going forward, regardless if it's the therapy room, the medical room, the the work room, community room it should be the standard right and especially for a population who has been i always say that has been oppressed that has been minoritized that has been harmed from the medical field i think mental health and therapy is still under the medical field just they kind of like to isolate as a stepbrother, but it's the medical model right at least now what therapy is right harm has been done there with this generation, with this, with this population, same with black women. Harm has been done there. We should be looking at this in a totally different light. Talking about black women and mortality rates when, when given birth. That's a real thing. So that means your medical model needs to be, and your trauma-informed model should be through the roof, different for black women when they come into that, that, that healthcare system. You know? And It's documented. <laughs> how y'all treat black women when it comes to pain tolerance right same thing for black i mean a little bit lesser actually for black men but it's the same kind of thought pattern around that you know and so if your if your your medical model if your employment model is not addressing that or not sensitive to that then yes you're not providing a safe space for that black man to thrive to be his authentic self. And as many times as we are, you know, having to be the provider, having to be the protector, having to put on this facade, having to be in fight or flight mode. It's no wonder why I don't want to go talk to somebody. I don't know. Cause I don't know what their intentions and motives are, or I'm too tired to even have a conversation about this. I don't feel like repeating myself you're not going to tell me nothing. I ain't never heard. I can't get from my homeboy. You're not going to tell me nothing that I can't get somewhere else. Right. And that's why I say it has to be, it has to go deeper and outside of therapy. But I think therapy is one of the, the places to start with, right. Because there can be some healing models in therapy. There can be some healing models in uh, the medical side. There could be some healing models in the spiritual side. There can be some healing models, you know, for whatever hobbies you need to work on. Like these are you know, if I want to practice yoga, I want to meditate. I want to read more about this religion. I want to be better with my body. Like, these are different pieces, excuse me, of the whole person that can be addressed. You just can start with therapy if you want to, right? And 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 in all of that, right, like, as I continue to watch and see the thing about it, too, I also think a uh, issue is is in our society is that we always want to just fix and give solutions to things. We don't want to observe, right? And observing takes time. So nobody wants to take time to observe. If we take time to observe, we can see all the nuances and things that need to be addressed and understand this is not no quick fix solution. Right. But observing and seeing what's happening in these moments. Right. And so as I'm talking about all of this and I'm just thinking about different things and I'm just watching how, you know, black men interact with one another, I've, kind of removed myself from social media a little bit um, because it was just too much going on there's a lot of stuff going on in my hometown and, or proximity to my hometown as far as you know violence and, and deaths and um just kind of concerning for me because they are you know, young young adults or young kids adolescents and um I'm just watching and observing and it kind of takes me back to before I got licensed where I, I brought up this conversation in supervision where I was really adamant it's like man how much does shame and guilt play a role in black men and black boys because we all want to be the one that's got the freshest pair of sneakers the freshest gear we don't want to be embarrassed you know what i'm saying we don't want to be the butt of somebody's joke we get into these defense mechanisms right And 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 wherever they and then these defense mechanisms kind of develop over time into unhealthy coping mechanisms that could lead us down the wrong path and then as i'm just sitting back i've done my experience i've done my work look at myself and kind of just processing the world around me and then i start thinking about the suicide rates again and then i start looking at anxiety and school to prison pipeline and how you know behaviors in the classroom um where teachers don't feel like, you know, they when there's a disturbance or behavior in the class, when the first person they look at is the black boy or the black girl, and there's no ever other element of, okay, well, what else is going on with this child versus just he might be disturbing? Or why am I thinking that that's the, the, the black child is the one that's doing disturbance? It could be the white child. It could be somebody else, right? But why are we automatically going to that child first, right? So we're talking about that implicit bias piece from teaching models and the educational models. But then also I think about the anxiety person version of this. And I was talking to my colleagues about this and my wife, like, do you think you dealt with anxiety growing up as a kid, right? In grade school, but never really knew what it was. Because again, you got to understand mental health right now is pretty new. A lot of this stuff coming out is more involved. And now since the DEI stuff came out, George Floyd, everything like that, there has been more of a emphasis on black mental health, even though we've been screaming these things for years. And so I was looking at, I was thinking about like, shoot, you know, dang, I wonder how many of us dealt with an anxiety. Right. But never really diagnosed it. Right. We always talk about go to ADHD because that was kind of one of the biggest things that, you know, for us, for black, black boys and girls that, you know, you get diagnosed with back in the nineties and stuff like that, because they didn't know any better. But I, and then some folks go on to have, you know, legit ADHD and other symptoms, but I'm thinking like, man, what about anxiety and depression at that age? And because it's a child or adolescent, some stuff you can't really diagnose that early, but what about it? Right. I'm not, maybe it's not a disorder. Maybe it's just the stress and anxiety of it all. It's a symptom of to perform. You don't see. The, depending on what school you go to you might see you know your, your people look like you you might see professors and teachers look like you but some of us you know we, we went to a school that was mixed i was half and half black and white right you know what i'm saying and so and i see i had maybe a couple of black teachers not black teacher every year right and so the ability to perform to be called upon in class this structure or education that kind of sometimes is not conducive to the best learning styles of how we learn right that induces or creates anxiety am I good enough or creates an imposter syndrome that develops in adolescence or into young adulthood I'm not good enough I don't belong here I have or getting to the space of overworking and 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 working ourselves to the bone and grinding where we have to be I have to be two times three times better than this person because I am black and this is how I've been treated in you know, the world and will be treated as I go forward, as I get older. And so I I look at all these dynamics and I'm like, man, we are still, we have made steps and strides into black mental health, but there is still so much left to uncover and unturn over to address. Because if black boys and black girls at the education and grade school level are dealing with anxiety, and I'm gonna tell you like this, it's interesting because I did a, a um, conversation. I'm, I'm dealing with some stuff with my own daughter. Or f- I think I'm seeing some anxiety, but I'm just trying to monitor it. She's six. I've, I've had a conversation with some um, young girls and adolescents um, for a mental health church thing, and they talked about anxiety and what it looks like and feels like for them. And it wasn't nothing specific, but it was mostly generic. And, you know, we talked about where they felt, you know, where where they start to feel it at. And what happens when they start to have it is like, okay, I get butterflies in my stomach or I feel I get a stomach ache. I start to feel it in my shoulders, start to feel it in my hands. You start talking about that and kind of different ways on how to address it. But then I was like, man, like, well, how many other young boys and girls experience anxiety or symptoms of anxiety? And then it's something else, or then it's told to them that it's something else, or it goes un diagnosed and unchecked and it evolves when they become you know adolescents or young adults into something else right whether that be imposter syndrome lack of lack of confidence lack of self-esteem depression um adhd you know all these other things that they can involve in are we really looking taking the time to observe long term and i know some people out there are doing research around this so shout out to all of y'all i know some dope people out there doing that but we need more of it We need more of it because then what's going to happen is that is going to help with the interventions, the evidence-based interventions that we utilize going forward with black men or black women in these therapy spaces. And it's also going to give alternative interventions that that, that are needed in these spaces as well. It might not just be talk therapy, even though I love talk therapy and I think it's a, a great intervention to use for men because a lot of times they don't talk. But... You know what I'm saying, but I I force that I don't force it, but we encourage the talking, and then they get to a point where they they talking and they don't stop talking, right? Because they're comfortable, they're safe, right? I I do a lot of mind body connection because I really feel like black men they don't take the time to connect what they're feeling, how they're going through it, and where it's showing up in their body. And I, I tell them like, yo, whatever you're dealing with, going with take inventory. Where is it showing up in your body? it's going to tell you what you need to be doing or what you need not be doing. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, helping them connect with that mind body connection, man, is, I think it's so important because just as much as the mental affects the physical, the physical affects the mental, you know, and it throws spiritual in it. It can go all over the place, you know? And so I do that, right. Which is some mindfulness meditation um, practices. We always do CBT. Cause I really need to understand. I need, really need guys to Philly understand what they're what they're thinking how they're thinking how that's affecting their emotions and how it's affecting you know their behaviors the other thing that i've been working on really 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 heavily is changing thought patterns around what you're feeling saying what you're feeling versus asking for something right so that's not you might be asking for something but you're calling it a feeling right like we always use i'm good I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then I'm good for us. And black men can mean 10,000 different things. It can mean we can be ready to fight or I'm good as in I'm, I'm okay. I'm doing well, you know what I'm saying? So it's been on tone inflection, things like that, but I've been helping trying to help work with men on expressing their feelings um, and their emotions more in, instead of saying a concept or a need in place of the feeling and emotion. So let's, let's not say, well, I need more money and let's say, okay, well, I, I need, I, I feel like I need more money. Well, that's not a, really a feeling. I need more money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I feel like I am, uh, I feel down or depressed or sad because I don't have enough money. Right. What is the need for that? I need more money. You know, it's like, like that. So it's like trying to help them on that because a lot of times we replace needs with emotions and feelings. And that kind of comes off as, you know, um, it, it loses conversations and pieces of that. And people don't respond to the need, but not the feeling. So still feelings and emotions don't get accepted or validated at all. Cause we were responding to the need. And then also to even in that though, developing a language an emotional vocabulary. Cause again, going back to I'm good. That's not a feeling, you know what I'm saying? Even though that is a, you know, our, our kind of slang way of saying how we feel but it's not a feeling, so we have to give. A lot of times, when we ask <laughs> you ask men to express their feelings or emotions, when I hear that all the time, they don't have the emotional vocabulary. So you're asking somebody who does not have the emotional vocabulary or have not been taught their emotional vocabulary and what this really means or how they really feel to express that, and you get mad at that. The person don't. Know. You can't charge that person for not knowing, you know. And we've never been exposed to it, you know um but i do think you know those things are really helpful and then i i think i think emdr eye movement desensitization reprocessing i think if used effectively with hip-hop i haven't used it with hip-hop yet but i will i think i would love to research it more i think if used with hip-hop um can be very beneficial if that client you know identifies with hip hop i think it would used with any type of music really realistically but emdr is very powerful i think um i know some other clinicians been using brain spotting and things like that um but there are other interventions out there that can be used and they just don't have to be done in the therapy room you know but then other outside of the talk therapy individual models um you know you have your group models and i think that's the biggest places to start you know And and using that and so that they can um, get comfortable with that. But, you know, those are like, as you can see, and me personally, what if these things were implemented earlier, earlier at the grade school level, not when there's a crisis, not when we suspect, right, that there's an issue, but just general practice. Right. What if we did? And there's been some models out there of using mindfulness and meditation in school system and shown the effects of it. Let's 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 just continue to do that. Right. Let's continue to build emotional vocabulary initially. That's one of the things I I did. I worked with my children on, you know, around that is, you know, my daughter at at the age of four was able to express to me how I made her feel and how I disregarded her. One time, because I didn't listen to what she was saying to me, and she felt upset about that, and that's why she was crying. She did that at the age of four, broke me down in the middle in the car, in the middle of my with me and my homeboys and my friends. Started young, right? But if I didn't have that with her, you know, and giving her the space and opportunity to express herself, she would not have felt comfortable to express herself, and she would have, you know, um she would never say anything, right? And so I, these, and as you can see, it's not uh, Again, how do you engage in black man in therapy? Look at what we just talked about for 40, 50, 49, 50 minutes. It's not as simple as just getting them to therapy. You know, it, it, it has to look at all these other variables that are out there. What's going to be helpful and effective for that person? Is that person ready, to, ready for change? Does this person need this type of intervention? What part of their life is, are they struggling with? Do they need therapy or do they just need a mentor? <laughs> you know, do they need a coach? Do they need a group of fellas, or do they need a network? One of the things that popped up one time, I was like we were talking with a client. And I was like, "Man, they just felt like they didn't, you know, they needed, you know, needed more, or they needed, you know, some more something to see something else." So I was like, "Just look at networking. Go network and find somebody that look like you in your space and field, right?" So it's so it's not simple as simple, right? But these are some things that I think that can be done or attributed to help to engage and get black men into therapy or the healing process. And um, yeah, I think there's, there's some, there's some good starter, starter points as well. So, um, but yeah, I just, I just think about everything that black men have to deal with black women and how it was just not enough resources at the time to address it all. And so, and then at the same point in time, the healing journey in the process isn't as Quick or fast as one would want it to be, or for how we make it out to be, it's just not, it's just not, and we have to be more accepting of that, even not even just the process of the journey to get to achieving and getting better, the process to start. Remember, I told y'all I started therapy in 2019, I should have been in therapy in 2011, 2012. That is seven, eight years that I had to build up the courage and go through these experiences, unfortunately to say, you know what? It's time. You feel what I'm saying? So there has to be grace, not just from the, the the process and the journey, see how far it goes, but also there has to be grace, understanding and patience for that black man to even start. To even acknowledge, to even be comfortable with saying, I'm going to go talk to somebody. And, and a lot of people don't, don't want to stick around for that. Sometimes the, the guys don't even want to go through that full time period of like I gotta gotta go through how long you know. I've been in therapy, like I said, I started twenty nineteen. Uh shoot, twenty twenty three. What's that? Four, four years of work that I had to put in. You know, till we got to a point where it's like I think you're everything's if things a good space right and yeah, it's four years. So seven, let's say six, seven years to even i say seven years because I think 2018, 2017 was when I really started thinking I need to go in therapy, but I didn't start until 2019. But realistically, I should have been in in 2011, 2012. So you're talking about at least seven, eight-year period to get up the, the courage to go and start and then another four years to work through my stuff. 10 to 12. Yeah, that's the one thing I tell guys, man. Y'all coming to this session, man, we're not going to go through 20 years of stuff and get it done in a year. That's too much. That's too little time. Therapy is a process and a journey. And then again, is this the right space for you? Am I the right therapist? Do you need somebody else? Am I the right fit? Just because I'm a black male therapist don't mean I'm going to be the best fit for you. I might be too soft for you, realistically. You know what I'm saying? You might need a moral push on that. But again, I don't like to push on that because I don't like to be that that hardcore therapist in session because you got enough people yelling at you. You got enough people jumping down your throat. I don't want to be that person. And to me, I think, you know, to me, I mean, I'm I've come from that era of yelling and, you know, discipline, things like that. And I felt like I needed that at some point, you know, but I don't. I feel really, I feel like I need somebody to talk to me in a nice, calm voice. Because you talk to me elevated, I'm gonna fill away. And that's not gonna be conducive for any type of healing process. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um, and this is in coaching. This is therapy. You know, this isn't sports. When I say coaching, not the regular coaching of like this coaching, lifestyle coaching, but this isn't this is in sports. So why are we getting on our, you know what I'm saying, our our Bobby Knight? <laughs> you know, so I just, you know, I I just take a different approach. But some but some guys don't like that. And that's cool. I'm not your therapist then. You know, I'm not your clinician for that, man. I'm not just Not. not going to be that. Now, we're coaching, we're playing basketball, it's a different story. But I'm not a therapist in that role. I'm, I'm I'm a coach, you know. And But I just don't think at some point, you know, in those spaces, if you come in to get therapy or getting help, right, even though we might have a going a back and forth, we might have a disagreement, you know, which I think is healthy, us being elevated is not going to really solve a problem, you know. Which is, I know some people personally might say, yo, that's wild for Trey to say. But we talking about the healing process. That's different. That's different. Or especially for the therapeutic alliance and therapeutic environment. I don't think there's really nothing that's going to become, be helpful and conducive to come from that. And then also, I think this really is just only going to perpetuate, you know, whatever issues are going to be there for that black man. So, but listen, man, I'm going to go ahead and pause right there. I didn't, I didn't mean to go for 53 minutes, but here we are. Um, like, share, subscribe to the podcast. Let me know what you think about this episode. We'll be up on Apple Podcast, Spotify, all your digital streaming platforms. We should be there. And then also we'll be on YouTube um actually streaming this video as well, man. So man, we appreciate the support. I'm only to make sure I get out a video, have stuff. I woke up this morning with some stuff on my mind. And I think I said like, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and make me a, a podcast today if I got time. And um some time came out and that's where we at, man. So y'all take care. Y'all have a great Labor Day weekend. Stay safe and I will talk to y'all soon. Take care.